Open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 12. Everybody have a study sheet? No. Acts chapter 12. In case it is your first time joining us, or in case you just have a really, really short memory, we're going through a little mini-series in the summertime called A Peculiar People, looking at various people, kind of some behind-the-scenes people, people that you don't often get a whole lot of top billing when it comes to Bible characters, but people that are nonetheless important to God because God cares about people. God left His throne, came down here, and died for people. He gave the Bible to people, and the Bible is full of people doing His work. So we should look at them and see what is it we can glean from them. What is it we can gain from their lives that God has chosen to forever. Do you guys realize that and grasp that concept? The Bible says in Psalm 119 that forever, O Lord, Thy word is settled in heaven. That means all of these stories, warts and all, it's going to be in the Bible forever, for eons and eons into eternity future. Can you imagine if your life story, the good and the bad and the ugly, was written down and recorded somewhere for all of time? How that'd make you feel? But for some of these guys, God chose that. Why? For our benefit. So that we don't make their same mistakes. So that we don't have something permanently set in stone. The good, the bad, and the ugly. So that we can look and glean from their life and see, okay... What is it about them that I'm either doing right? Maybe I need to change up. Maybe I'm doing completely wrong. Boy, I really don't want to make sure I make, don't make that mistake in the future. That's why we have these stories in here. That's why God chose to put these incidences in people's lives. And that's why you go through the things you go through. That's why you were born in the family you did. That's why you're in the, the neighborhood that you're in. That's why you're here during this time for such a time as this. That's why you go through the incidences that you go through I don't even know if that's a word. Anyone correct me on that one? Fact check. The incidents that you go through throughout a daily basis so that God can use your life to be a light that shines in this dark place that others can see it and they can glorify God by seeing the change in you and knowing, I want to be like them. There's something different about them. They struggle through things that I struggle with, but they have a happy countenance. They don't let it get them down. They don't let it destroy their mindset like it does me. I want to talk with them and see what's different about them. That should be happening left and right with everybody we go to school with, everybody we work with. And that's why when we have a challenge like taking our Bibles with us, it should present an opportunity and an open door for people to know maybe there's an answer there. Maybe we can go to that person with it. Maybe they are peculiar, particularly special. And so today we're going to cover in part three, a guy by the name of John Mark. John Mark. You guys are out of your Bibles open to Acts chapter 12. Look with me in verse 11. To set the stage, Peter's in prison, and he's miraculously delivered and set free from his jail cell by the angel of the Lord. In verse 11 it says, And when Peter was come to himself, he said, Now I know of a surety that the Lord hath sent his angel and hath delivered me out of the hand of Herod from all the expectation of the people of the Jews. And when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a damsel or a servant came to hearken named Rhoda. 
And the rest of the story goes, you know, she answers it, she sees Peter, and they're all thinking he's dead. They're having a prayer meeting going on inside this house of Mary, and they're having this prayer meeting saying, God, please deliver Peter, even though deep down inside they're thinking he is dead. Do you guys ever have prayers like that? Where you're praying for God to answer it one way, although in your head you're thinking, like, this is never going to happen. If you're like that, there's a story in here that could help you to not have that kind of lack of confidence, but to have boldness in your prayers. Like, Lord, this must happen. Let this happen. But you know what? Even if it doesn't happen, I'm going to trust you. But I'm going to still pray as though it can happen. And that's what they should have had happening here, but they didn't. They were given up already, thinking that Peter was dead. So this servant girl, she goes and she sees Peter knocking the gate. She thinks it's his ghost. And so she runs back inside and everyone's like, you're crazy. You're crazy. It can't be his ghost. And Peter just keeps knocking. Keeps knocking on the gate. And it's a good reminder for us that if you have open doors with people this week, but they shut you down, they don't want to hear the gospel, they don't want to hear what it is you have to share with them, why you're bringing your Bible to school with you. Okay, you got the door shut on you this time. Keep knocking. Keep knocking. That's what Peter did here. But this small little section of verses, it highlights John Mark, and I love it. The reason why Luke, the author of the book of Acts, puts uh, Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, is to differentiate Mark from the Apostle John. Because as you saw at the end of the book of John, when John was at the foot of the cross, the only disciple who stood by Jesus' side all the way to death, Jesus looks down on him and he says to John, Behold thy mother. John was put in trust of taking care of Mary, the mother of Christ. And so this here is to show us that John, this John that we're talking about, he's different from that John. This is John Mark, or sometimes goes by Marcus when you follow him throughout the Bible. But we gleaned some things from this passage here. Look on your outline. In letter A, we see that he's chosen. We'll get that understanding a little bit more here in a little bit. But in point one, we see that he possibly came from wealth, and that he was fatherless. Now, based upon the passage we just read, what would lead to that understanding? You guys tell me. Because I can tell some of you guys need to wake up. So let's have some participation. What would lead to the idea that he possibly came from wealth and that he was fatherless? Kendall? I feel like if you have a gate like, on your house, it's probably Yep. That's one clue. Say there's one more in there. Yes, servants. Servants. That's the other one for the wealth. But what about the idea that his father wasn't around? Whether possibly through just died early, was martyred, or just wasn't around. Look at verse 12. And when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary. See, back then, it was always the house of the man who was the head of the household then. The fact that the Bible records that's the house of Mary indicates his dad wasn't around, and we don't hear any indication of the, of the contrary throughout the rest of the Bible. So this guy came also from humble origins, much like Timothy, who we looked at a couple weeks ago. Humble origins, and who knows, maybe his wealth was inherited because of his father. We don't really know. The idea. We don't really know the understanding. But we see here that his mom raised him. So he possibly came from wealth and was fatherless. Again, not the most ideal background. But then again, it's kind of positive and negative. Man, he was taken care of. 
the other side of it, he didn't have a father figure in his life. The good and the bad. Does the wealth help take care of that? Maybe, maybe not. Different backgrounds of different peoples all throughout the Bible. Doesn't really matter your background as we've already established. It's what's inside that counts. It's your heart attitude towards the Word of God and the work of God, as we'll soon see here, that set John Mark apart. Not where his family life was, not what kind of wealth or lack of wealth he came from. No, that's not why he was chosen. And we see in number two here that Peter's presence, whether here or at another time in his life, possibly led to John Mark's salvation and or left a huge impact on him. Uh, we're in, uh, well, we already saw for verse 12 that uh, they were gathered together praying, so obviously they had some kind of heart for Peter. But then you have a little of this throwaway verse later on in the Bible in 1 Peter 5.13, where Peter says, The church that is at Babylon, elected together with you, saluteth you, as does Marcus, my what? My son. And as we already saw in this past Wednesday, going over Philemon, Whenever you see a phrase like that, Paul even said the same thing with Timothy. He called Timothy my son in the faith. This is a phrase that's very, very endearing. It means, basically, that Marcus was his disciple. Whether his actual disciple, where he sat down and went over the Bible with him, whether he was a father figure in his life, or he actually led Marcus to saving faith in Christ. So Peter's presence led to his salvation and or left a huge impact on him. And because of that, because of Peter's witness, because of Peter's influence, an influence of a godly person in his life, John Mark realized that I now have a purpose. I now have a mission. Because someone loved me enough to share with me what the Bible says, I want to just, just sit around and keep all this information to myself, but I have a purpose to share it with someone else. And that's why, as you jump down at the end of Acts chapter 12, look at verse 24. But the word of God grew and multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem, wherein they had fulfilled their ministry, and took with them John, whose surname was what? Mark. See, on point three of your outline, he is chosen by Barnabas and Paul, this is before Saul's name changed to Paul. He is chosen by Barnabas and Paul to accompany them on the first missionary journey where he helped them minister. We're already there. Jump down to verse 5 of chapter 13. Can I get a reader for that one? And Will. Benny, chapter 13, verse 5. And when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had also John to their minister. So he helped them minister. Again, we covered this last week with Aquila and Priscilla. Not everyone is going to be the upfront Peters and Pauls. Not everyone is going to be the preacher, the teacher, the pastor, the missionary. There are going to be roles that you guys fulfill that are more behind the scenes, that are more supporting the work, that are going to be more ministry-based. On the front lines, in the trenches, those roles are just as important. Being a door greeter here and welcoming first-time guests, that might just be more crucial than someone who's standing up here teaching the lesson. In fact, I would argue that is the case. Because people's first reactions 
their first encounter when they come into a place, that might just decide whether or not they're completely hindered or turned off to the message at all. Who do they meet when they come in here? And what's your countenance like? What kind of first impression do you leave? Things to consider. So don't look at it. David himself even said, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God. David, the king, a type of Jesus Christ in the Bible. He said that. He would rather be a doorkeeper. Man, and, and not only that, but even just following through with like checking in on people. Hey, haven't seen you in a couple weeks. How you doing? Anything I can be praying for? That might make the difference in someone's life. Has it made a difference in anyone's life here? Can anyone raise their hand as a testimony of like, yeah, you know what? Someone doing that for me completely changed my walk and helped me. That happened? Some leaders in the back. Some students. Amen. Now you get to be chosen, like John Mark was, to do that for someone else. Because there's another you out there who needs that same encouragement. So do it. Be it. Yeah, John Mark, he was kind of the behind-the-scenes guy. It was Barnabas and Paul who were doing the missions trip, but he was there to minister. Maybe as people were raising their hands to get saved, he'd pull them aside and he'd be able to open up the Scriptures and expound the way, the way of the Lord more perfectly. I don't know. But he was a helper. And a helper was just as crucial, if not more important, than what Paul and Barnabas were doing. Don't neglect those things. He's chosen, but not forsaken in letter B. You'll see why here in a second. I just couldn't help as I was writing this message, I just couldn't help but think about that song that we sing very, very often. I am who you say I am. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. You are for me, not against me. I am who you say I am. And that was definitely more apparent here because of what happens next in John Mark. So here we are in chapter 13 of the book of Acts. We see that John Mark, he's with Paul and Barnabas on the missions trip, on the mission field, working and serving and ministering. And then as soon as they're done ministering, boom, opposition. A guy comes along who ends up being a sorcerer, who ends up having connections with the unseen spiritual realm. And some crazy stuff starts happening. Some intense persecution starts going on in chapter 13. And as you work your way down through the story, Paul handles it like a champ. But when you get to verse 13 of Acts chapter 13, you find this. Now, when Paul and his company loosed from Paphos, they came to Perga and Pamphylia, and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. They're on this island of Cyprus, and they go from Cyprus, this little island up north to Pamphylia, and something happens either in Cyprus where they meet this sorcerer and they have this extreme opposition. Either something happens there or on the, the ship journey northward going up to Pamphylia. Maybe something happened there or maybe something happened when they actually got on the land. But whatever happened and at whatever point in time, 
actually we know from another cross-reference you'll see here in a little bit, it's when they got the Pamphylia. John Mark decides to say, I'm out. I'm out. And he gets on a boat and heads back to Jerusalem. He quits. He's like, yep, had a camp commitment. I followed through with my camp commitment for the rest of summer. But now school's here. I'm out. I'm out. Got my friends. We're hanging back together again. It's a lot more fun with them. I got all these activities that I'm involved in right now. I don't have time to do that Bible study. I don't have time to go out to that activity. I'm out. Or maybe for a short period of time, he was there on the boat ride talking with Paul, talking with Barnabas, but his heart or his reins were far from fellowship with God. I don't know. I don't know what happened. The Bible is kind of silent on that. All we do know is that at one point in time, he quits and he walks. I'm done. In Acts 13, 13, a number that is ominous in the world because of how ominous that number is in the Bible. It is a number that means rebellion as you study it out. Going against God. So point number one under letter B, he soon quits the work after facing opposition. You know, that's interesting. When the heat gets turned on, that's where you really see what you're made of. When you really start facing opposition in your life, that's where you see how real your walk with God really, truly is. In the Bible, when you look at, there's two different kinds of vessels, really. Uh, there's a lump of clay, and then there's a pot. And depending on what kind of vessel you are, depending on what kind of temple you are, so to speak, the same sun does two different things to those two different vessels. The sun will either melt the clay and it'll become like wax. It'll become moldable. It'll become easy to let the potter configure it how he wants it to be. There's a picture of how God wants to work in our lives and relationship. But a pot that's already hardened, when it's under the sun and getting heat, it's not going to soften. It's just going to keep getting harder and harder and harder to the point where it needs to be broken in order for it to be used again. And that's a lot like people. The same kind of pressure, the same kind of opposition that you go through, to some degree or another, maybe some more than others, but I'm sure to some degree or another, we all face opposition. Are you a pot or clay? The same heat that affects you, it's either going to soften you or harden you. It's either going to cause you to be more moldable to what God is doing in your life, or it's going to harden your heart and you're going to stiffen up. And yeah, you might be here every single Sunday and Wednesday, but if nothing's going on in between those days, what's the point? When you go through heat, when you go through opposition, that's where you see what's really inside here. What am I really getting out of Bible reading? So have you experienced any opposition this week? If so, what was your reaction to it?
your reaction might just reveal the state of your walk. These are things to ponder, not just today, not just now, but throughout the rest of the day, throughout the rest of this week. And to be looking for more opposition to come this week, because it will. If not from your friends, from your flesh. If not from your flesh, then from your friends. From the other world system, from other pressures in society to conform. Be looking for those things and be looking to see how you respond. Turn over to chapter 15. Because the other point I want to make with this is not just to see what you're made of, but also a very frightening realization that your actions and your reactions, as insignificant as they might seem, have a strong possibility of affecting others in a dramatic way. And if they affect others in a strong, dramatic way, it may either help or hurt the cause of Christ in drastic fashion. Keep in mind, souls are at stake here. And that's why we're at in Acts chapter 15. Look with me in verse 36. I need six readers. Let's do a reader for verse. All right, Dustin, 36. One verse, people. Kendall, 37. Ben, 38. Others. Hannah, 39. Caleb, 40. 15. Sammy, 41. Is that six? Did I get everyone? Yep. Okay. All right. Hopefully everyone remembers their verse because I don't. I don't. You're, I think I said you're 40. You're 39, right, Hannah? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you're 40. All right. Dustin, kick it off verse 36. For David, after he had served... Sorry, Acts 15. Acts 15, 36. Is that Mad Dog that screwed up? No. Oh. Well, he probably screwed up Dustin, but yeah. <laughs> go ahead, Dusty. And some days after Paul said unto Barnabas, Let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. And Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. But Paul thought not good to take him with them, who departed from them, from <clears throat> Pamphylia, and went not with them to the work. And the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from the other, and so Barnabas took Mark and sailed unto Cyprus. And Paul chose Silas and departed, being recommended by the brethren unto the grace of God. And he went through Syria and... Cilicia. Cilicia, confirming the churches. So what happened? So some time has passed. They went through their first missionary journey of Acts 13, 14, most of 15. And now it's time. Let's do follow-up. Because we don't want to just leave everybody with the state that we left them in. No, no, no. We don't want to just reach people with the gospel, get them to pray a prayer, and then just leave them to the wind. No. We want to follow up, see how they're doing. Hey, that conversation we had last week, have you given any more thought about it? Hopefully we're doing that. That's what Paul and Barnabas decided to do. And what happens? Barnabas wanted to take who? John Mark. John Mark. And Paul, did he want to go along with it? No. In fact, look again at verse 39. And the contention was so sharp between them. This is one of those verses where you read between the lines. This is one of those verses where it doesn't say 
But I'm telling you, when it mentions that in that detail, the contention was so sharp between them. This wasn't just a mild disagreement. This is a church-splitting type of a situation. This is a, we're on the verge of our youth ministry, of our church, of the entire work of the Lord being completely disintegrated because of this issue right here. You think your actions don't affect others? They can have drastic, dramatic, devastating effects. Devastating effects. It was so sharp between them. Look what it says again in, 30, in 39, sorry. That they departed asunder one from the other. I looked that phrase up because I never saw a word like that before where it says they departed asunder. It means that it was like a sharp later. See ya. We're done. Paul and Barnabas, these two close friends of the ministry, done forever. We're gone. Fine. You go your way. I'm going this way. Can you imagine the Apostle Paul just like being livid? I mean, the guy who's always talking about forgiving others in Ephesians 4 and being merciful all throughout all of his letters. And he's so ticked off at Barnabas that Barnabas wants to bring the quitter along with him. Can you imagine that conversation? Can you imagine for those of you fellow old souls being a fly on the wall of that conversation and watching Paul just rip him? <laughs> I can't imagine it. I can't. What, what defense would Barnabas possibly have? They were just pff, a quick goodbye. Not a, hey, fine, all right, agree to disagree. No, it was sharp. It was a breaking of the friendship here. All because John Mark decided after he made a commitment to walk it back and to quit. So number two, this became a huge point of contention between Paul and Barnabas. And I can't help but wonder if this little verse maybe is what led to some of the fuel for the fire. Colossians 4.10, this is Paul writing, and he says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, saluteth you, and Marcus, sister's son to who? Barnabas. Thank you. Barnabas. Hmm. More to the story. Barnabas is the uncle of John Mark. And maybe that's the reason why he was so willy-nilly to take John Mark with him when they went to go on this follow-up tour. Maybe. And you could probably see, you could just hear Paul saying, I know exactly why you want to take him. You're showing him favoritism because he's your nephew and you probably made some promise to your sister regardless of what it means for the work of the Lord and you're making a decision with your heart and not your mind, Barnabas. No, you're not taking him. I can just hear it now. No doubt this topic came up. So who's right? What do you guys think? Paul. <laughs> who's right? They both are. Are they? Team Paul. Paul. This isn't Edward and goodness, I'm Jacob. You know it. You know it. 
I hear both right. I hear Paul's right. Any others? Jesus is right. You can't have two answers from the same person. Now, seriously, put yourselves in this situation. What do you do? What do you do? Who do you go with? There's a church split. Paul and Barnabas are arguing. Our two pastors, our two leaders, who do we go with? Now, if it's Andy and I arguing, I mean, there's a clear winner there. <laughs> but who do you go with? Who was right in this scenario? Here's the thing. You must look at things from both sides of the equation. You must consider both sides of the story, no matter what scenario you find yourself in. I don't care if it's your best friend. I don't care if it's your sibling. I don't care if it's your parent. I do not care if it's your nephew. You must consider both sides of the equation. And here. You know what I find interesting? In Acts 4.36, if you want to write that verse down, you know what you find about Barnabas' name? His name literally means that he's the son of of consolation. He's the son of consolation. It means he's consoling. He's always putting his arms around someone and making them feel welcome, making them not beat themselves up anymore. He's always giving them the benefit of the doubt. He's always being merciful and kind and gracious to them. And it also says in that verse that he's from the area of Cyprus, which if you don't remember from chapter 15, or chapter 13 rather, Cyprus was the area that Paul, Barnabas, and John Mark were all on right before John Mark decided to leave. So Barnabas, being the consoling type, probably put his arms around John Mark and said, hey, you know you messed up. You quit. But I still think God can use you, John Mark. I still think you have a purpose. I still think your life is meaningful. I still think God's not done with you yet. And I'm going to stay here and I'm going to work with you. We'll work through whatever issues you had that made you want to go back and quit. We will work through it. But man, I think you had such a lasting impact in Cyprus, in our hometown. I think on this trip and this journey back, those people that you ministered to before you quit, I think they want to see you again. And I want to take you there. When you look at it from Barnabas' side, I kind of got to side with him. But then you consider it from Paul's side. Paul's on the move. We got churches to plant. We're doing this follow-up trip. Although, I'm sure, if I know Paul... I'm sure Paul wanted to do another missions trip to areas they hadn't hit yet to plant more churches, to get more people saved. And he kind of saw the follow-up trip as a necessity and not necessarily where his heart was. So he wants to be on the move. He wants to keep going forward. And he sees this person quit in the midst of everything that God was doing, in the midst of how great God was working in their midst. And he sees John Mark just chuck it all and say, I don't care about this anymore. Paul probably is looking at that like, what's to say that if we take him with us, he ain't going to do it again, Barn, Barney. 
What's to say he's not going to do it again? What's to say he's not just going to chuck it? You know what, Barnabas? He's not proven. If anything, he's proven that he's a sellout and that he is not going to be faithful to the work. He's going to slow us down, and it's probably going to cause us to be in even more trouble when we get there. John Mark wasn't proven. If anything, he was proven as a sellout. He was proven as a quitter. So I see that side. I see his point. So who's right? Either way, you have to consider both sides of any argument. Any argument you're involved in, any argument one of your friends is involved in, you have to hear both sides of the story. You know, it's kind of interesting. Barnabas' name being son of consolation and him being merciful, the embodiment of mercy, and Paul being this more harsh, stern, black and white truth side of things. It's like you have mercy here and you have truth here. You know what the book of Psalms says you're supposed to do with mercy and truth? They're supposed to meet together. When you hear both sides of an argument, when you hear both sides of a story, you hear the one fully, you hear the other fully, and you bring it together. Metaphorically as well as physically. Bring them together so they can hash it out. And if that you're the one party, you need to come forward and you need to talk with the other person, hash it out. But let mercy and truth come together. You'll find the truth and the mercy when you bring the two sides together. That's what needs to happen. So, in point number three, 20 years goes by. This is around 48 A.D., if you want to jot that down, because dates are important. 48 A.D. is when this whole incident took place. When John Mark chucked it all and quit and then came back again. In point three, 20 years go by, but Mark is not forsaken as he and Paul work out their differences. I have Colossians 4.10 here up on the screen. Can somebody tell me again? We've mentioned it again and again and again for the last couple of weeks. What, where was Paul at when he's writing the book of Colossians? He's in jail. And he says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, saluteth you and Marcus. Boy, nothing like hashing out a disagreement between two parties when they're stuck in a jail cell. Literally as well as metaphorically. Because who knows how hindered things were between the two of them because of the differences they had. I'm not saying that if you bear a grudge against somebody, not saying if you have bitterness in your heart towards someone, if you have a disagreement with somebody, that's not to say that God can't use you because He can, and He will. But man, there might be so much more you'd be able to get done to put the differences aside and to hash things out. Prison will do that for you. And that's what these two guys did. They hash it out. This is about 20 years later. This is about 60, actually probably about 15 years. So if you want to put a note on your study sheet, 15 years approximately later that they finally hash things out. And Paul puts it in this letter of Colossians. Hey, Mark says hi. If he was still angry and ticked off at him, there's no way he would have put that in there. But not only that, 
the other prison epistle that Paul wrote at the same time, Philemon. We're talking about that on Wednesdays. Where he says, Marcus, Aristarchus, Demas, Lucas, my fellow laborers, again, in a jail cell. So Marcus was in prison at the end of Paul's first imprisonment, around 65 A.D. And I wonder what kind of impact that had on Marcus's life. For him to realize that even though at one point he was chosen and he walked away, he's still not forsaken because he is who the Lord says he is. They work out their differences. And in point number four, at the end of Paul's life, about five years later, Mark is deemed profitable and needed. Profitable and needed. He is deemed that by Paul. It's funny to me, in all three of these Sundays, looking at Timothy, Aquila and Priscilla, and Mark, 2 Timothy chapter 4, the final chapter in Paul's life, all of these guys are mentioned. He says, and this is his second imprisonment, by the way, right before Paul loses his head. These are his last words. Only Luke is with me. The context of this passage is that everybody forsook Paul. Everybody chucked it at the end. Everyone turned their back on Paul. How bad are things going to get before the tribulation period? Only Luke is with me. But look what he says here. He's saying, Timothy, take Mark and bring him with thee. I want to see him before I lose my head one last time. For he is what? Profitable to me for the ministry. See, at the end of Paul's life, Mark is deemed profitable and needed. This is a guy who quit. This is a guy who decided to walk away when the going got tough. And the Apostle Paul is saying, I need him. He's profitable. Bring him. God's not done with him yet. He's chosen, not forsaken. I love that. You know what John Mark would go on to do? It's your second cross-reference that's there on your sheet. He's the one who wrote the Gospel of Mark. You know when the Gospel of Mark came out? Either around the writing of this verse or shortly thereafter. I wonder if John Mark, during the course of the 20 years, maybe after his prison experience with Paul in Colossians and Philemon, maybe after he gets out of jail, he writes the Gospel of Mark, and Mark somehow gets a copy to Paul, and Paul's reading it in the jail cell, and he's like, huh, this boy's profitable. God wasn't through with him after all. Hmm. Or, or, Mark comes to the jail cell at the behest of Timothy in this command here. And Paul tells him, you ought to tell the story of your time around Christ. Gather as many. And that's the thing. There's not really any indication. There's some indication that he might have been in the, Gospels of, of, in the Gospel of Mark. 
But it might have been all just from word of mouth, from his friends who were with Christ during the time of his life. And he decides to pen that gospel. You know what's interesting about the gospel of Mark? It's the shortest gospel in all out of all four of them. It is the gospel that chucks all of the, the Jewishness that Matthew describes, and instead it has more of a Roman Gentile mind. It writes from the perspective of showing Jesus Christ as a servant. It spends more time looking at Jesus Christ and the works and the actions that he did, and not necessarily the words that he spoke. It's quick and to the point. In fact, 40, or I think it's 80% of Mark's gospel, it's the last eight days of Christ's life. He cuts right to the point. He gets right to the point, showing the life of Christ as a servant who came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. That's his gospel. You think someone unqualified, you think God would let someone unqualified write that gospel? No. He's going to choose the guy who's best fit for the job. And that tells me Mark really was profitable. That tells me that even though at one point in his life he quit, one point in his life he walked away and shirked his responsibilities, at some point that boy got moving. And he started ministering. And he started serving. And he poured his heart, soul, mind, and strength and gave everything he got. Probably because of his past. Don't be defeated by your past. Let your past be a great motivator for your future. Did everybody hear me on that? Don't be defeated by your past. Let your past be a great motivator of what God can do in you and through you. Because that's the kind of business our God is into. He loves taking someone with a horrendous past. Loves taking someone with a horrendous past and doing the impossible. To where as people look on and say, that guy? That girl? Wow. That was the guy who quit. That was the guy who walked away. That was the guy who caused the massive church split between Paul and Barnabas. The problem maker. The problem child. Mm -mm. He's profitable and he's needed. You are profitable and you are needed. You're chosen. You're not forsaken. Last passage, turn over to John chapter 15. Point number two, profitable in the ministry, your application. Has there been a time in your life, or a time in your walk rather, letter A, has there been a time in your walk with Christ that you gave up on the work or walked away altogether? If so, you're still profitable and needed. You're still profitable and needed. Man, I'll never forget the first time I saw this verse. 
those two years of my life, for those of you who heard my story, you know, those two years of my saved life where I was living for myself, living like the lost world for six days a week, but hey, I was here every single Sunday. Comparatively speaking, it wasn't really that horrendous and heinous. I mean, typical boy stupidity stuff when you're a teenager, but I also did get into drinking when I was uh, eighth grade and freshman year of high school. And that was my walking away. That was my years in the wilderness for those two years. But I remember thinking, even just with that, I remember thinking, like, why would God use me? How could I be of any good to God because of those two years that I wasted? And it was at camp, Mike Blake's preaching, and he does an entire message on Moses and how Moses was a murderer. Does an entire mess, and this is all one message, and he does an entire point on David, how David was an adulterer who murdered the husband of the woman he slept with, and God still used him. How Peter was one of the three closest disciples of Christ who spent more time with Christ, and yet he denied him, not once, not twice, but three times when Christ needed him the most. And God still used him. Paul was a Christian murderer and a Christian hunter, and God used him. And Mike Blake closes it with this verse that changed my life. Why would God use me? Verse 16. Ye have not chosen me, but I chose you and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. Why does God still want to use you? Because he chose you. He chose to reach out to you. He chose to have something very, very particular for you to do. Maybe that's because of where you end up going to school. Because you're the only person who can reach the people that are in your sphere of influence. Yeah, some of you guys go to the same school together. But you have friends that are different from the other people that are in this room that go to the same school as you. That only you can reach. God chose you to have those gifts and those talents that you have in these extracurricular activities you find yourself in so that you can reach those people that are in there. If that's what he's choosing and calling you to do. Maybe he's removing you from that situation because he's got something else planned for you. Either way, he chose to work with, through, and in you. Doesn't matter what you did. You're profitable and needed. Chapter 21, verse 17 is when Christ says to Peter, Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Three questions for three denials. To see, Peter, are you really all in? Are you really all in? Letter B. Has someone in the ministry let you down or shirked their responsibility in the work of the Lord? Don't forsake them. Do not forsake them. Do not count anyone out. Honestly, Paul had his points, but I think we just saw he was off. He was wrong. I'm glad there's a Barnabas to be a son of consolation to people who need it. To say, hey, God's not done with you yet. You're needed. Look what that guy did. 
you ought to go home and read the book of Mark and just see, man, how powerful that gospel is. Don't forsake them. They're still profitable and needed. Fill in your last blanks. Man, Psalm 37, 25, that became a staple verse of mine. <laughs> One of the trials I went through a couple years back where God says that, or David is saying that in all my years I've not seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging for bread. God's going to take care of you. He'll take care of you. Just trust Him. And 1 Samuel 12, 22. For the Lord will not forsake His people for His great name's sake. His name is at sake. He's not going to leave you. He's not going to forsake you. You are who He says you are because it hath pleased the Lord to make you His people. Doesn't matter what you've been through. Doesn't matter what somebody else in here has been through. Do not bear a grudge against that person. Do not think you are better than that person. God is not done with them yet. God is not done with you yet. You are profitable. You are needed. Let's pray.